uh, Cameron House is a five-star hotel. It's a uh, uh, very, very nice place. It's really beautiful, right on the banks of Loch Lomond. Um, we, we went to like a place they've got there called the Boat House, which is basically like a kind of bistro, which is attached to the like little marina. But the uh, it, it was all right. <laughs> You're disappointed. There's, there's right? a, the, you no, no, it's a be- and it was crap. no, no, no. I, I, no, we didn't spend that much money, and it was it, it. It's a beautiful place. The food was. There's actually a place about quarter of a mile away called Duck Bay Marina, where the food is actually a lot better. Mm. So um, we we hadn't realised that anyway. You but, sometimes you sometimes get that when when you get you've got the location, like they can get away with having slightly below average or average type fare because everyone knows that basically it's a trap like you, you're going to go and sit there for the occasion and your wife's birthday etc you know and you're not going to complain about the food obviously courtesy you know, you're not going to do that um so um so yeah I, I think that inevitably happens um yeah other than that um because it's my daughter's birthday a couple of days ago and it's my birthday like a say, few days oh, before that <laughs> yeah we've got time. three We've got three within a week. Um, so for my wife's birthday, there's no there's no birthday cake. We've got we're, we're enough cake by that yeah, point. So caked out. she's unfortunately her birth uh, right is to get no cake anymore. <laughs> That's fair enough, mate. Sometimes you can have too much of that. It's got to be a special occasion. Um, if it's all lined up, it can be difficult, can't it? So um, so there we go. Exactly. But anyway, listen. Um, also, some big news on your side. You might as well tell people um, because people know you in Brain Food Live have seen you for various iterations, but obviously something's happening in your professional uh, life um, in the last 24 hours, hasn't it? Um, yeah, well, um, I... So, <laughs> way to describe it, I'm unemployed, I guess. Uh, I, I, uh, you know, I, I, I was co-founder and CEO of Candidate ID. It was a unique technology product um, in demand from sophisticated TA teams, I would say. Um, Not mass market product. Uh, We were acquired by iSIMS, the biggest talent acquisition tech company in the world. Uh, Very much like uh, used by the masses. Uh, You know, the world's biggest applicant tracking system, business and um, marketing automation, Candidate ID needed needed bigger wings at some point. And uh, iSIMS was the perfect bird with the big wings. And um, so, you know, they've, they've, they've taken it on really well. They've got a lot more customers using marketing automation and talent acquisition than we did as an independent company. Uh, they've got bigger teams working on it and all that kind of thing. And I, I did a pretty good integration. So um, I've now left because the integration is complete. Uh, the team that I took into that business, they're all in new jobs in the organization with different managers. And uh, it's going to work out uh, really great for ISIMS and for that, that team that, that, that went and joined them as well. So, um, yeah, I'm a big cheerleader supporting them from the side. And uh Hopefully they will go ahead and make it mainstream. What does that mean for you, though? Are you actually now not working there? So, so you, 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 you access yeah. has been cut off. You, you, you don't have the key. You can't get into the building. You know that kind of stuff. Yeah, You're I mean, I'm not, I'm not like standing trying to get in the building or anything. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, access has been cut off, so it's quite brutal. I, I left the organization. I left the organization a couple of days ago, uh, and uh, you know, having having done what I was asked to do on day one, which was you know, supervise a really good integration, the people, the technology, uh, the product roadmap, the uh, uh, customers, of course, um, sales pipeline, and uh, you know, there was multiple different strands of that workflows. Uh, uh, like working groups attached to all of that. And uh, I got a good learning because I haven't worked for a large technology business ever. And uh, so honestly, the amount of people that I learned from and the amount of ways that I saw, this is how you actually, you know, run a proper scaled up organization with four or 5,000 customers and 1,500 people. I, le- I learned a lot um, from iSIMS on, this is how you go about doing that. I was like, right now I understand. Okay, so <laughs> a proper, was... pro- a professional business, unlike the ramshackled, uh, the jolly ship uh, that you ran, which was obviously well, the... your own business. But it's different when you know you've yeah. got to integrate into a bigger, bigger, bigger mothership, isn't it? So um... I mean, the, the, yeah, completely. It's just a diff- It's just a different thing when you're when you're building a business from the beginning. You there's bits flying off all over the place, and you have to work like that. And you're going to be successful or not based on can you cope with the fact that like 90% of what you're doing is living in ambiguity, right? Most people can't do that. So, you know, getting it to the point where now nah, the, the concept is proven, um, there's enough market validation and customers and uptake and uh, customers scaling up their use and things like that. Once you get to that point, the like, uh, it's a different discipline in running an organization that can just put almost endless amounts of money into it and just pull the right levers in a slightly different direction. So it's, it's different disciplines. It's a completely different type of thing, different working mm-hmm. life. You know, as is if you take from like iSIMS to running Microsoft or something like that, again, mm-hmm. an entirely different type of organization. iSIMS, I would consider a large scale up. Is what I would, you know, it's, it's not, it's not like a, it's not like it's a not series B yeah. st- stage scale up, but I mean, it's a company worth billions. Um, and it, it is a, it is a large scale, you know, scale up organization, pretty much ready, ready for IPO. Um, and yeah, the, the, the structure of an organization, all the metrics, everything's totally different. And, uh, it was great to, it was great to learn about it. On that note, it'd actually be very interesting as a career for a recruiter to be able to work at different stages of maturity for a business. Um, so I wonder whether you've ever had that experience, folks. Have you worked like in micro startup, you know, pre-money? Have you worked scale up, series A, go go great? Have you worked sort of in that kind of middle bit where you're trying to get to IPO or whatever? Have you, I, have you worked for a business that is a mature organization in the marketplace? I think all of those things are quite different type of roles. And it would probably be a perfect recruiting career if you had those experiences in different places. Anyway, we're completely sidetracking. Go on. Just one really quick thing. Just one really quick thing to add to that. See, see the difference between the difference between a startup business and a scale-up business is the processes in a scale-up business are much, much more deliberate. And, and there's a lot more of them. In a startup business, you have to think on your feet like every single day, and you're probably going to change most of your processes every single day. Whereas in a scale-up business, the processes have now been set, and now it's all about just crank everything up, crank everything up, do it yeah. more, do it faster, the same thing. So and, yeah. and because of that existing 
protocol there's also resistance to change in the same way where a super early business won't have because there hasn't been an established way of doing it so if you're a new person coming in for instance the more mature business you have the more requirement you may need to kind of manage the changes that you want to implement it's not as simple as just saying we're doing this unless you've got a you know a, a, a kind of a combustible sort of personality like I can't, I can't help but think of someone like donald trump for instance um who it just bullying a china elon musk. Shop. elon musk just go in there for burn it down don't care um but it's you can see it's very very destructive methodology to do that um whereas you that would kind of be normal behavior for a startup right you wouldn't need to break any hearts to to, to do some of the th those things because there wasn't an existing thing so um right. anyway we're totally getting off the track here folks because we're here to talk about candidate experience god damn it um so welcome everybody to brain food live on air it's episode 191 bringing it to you every friday no fail had a bit of a segue because obviously uh, Adam, the co-pilot, has lost his job recently or has left his job recently and is unemployed. Um, so we wanted to explore that a little bit. It might actually be an interesting topic to discuss at some point, actually. Like what is the psychological process of, you know, setting a business, selling it, and then actually having to exit, not having to, but, you know, voluntarily ex exiting out what the psychological process is and, you know, what the next move is, you know. So anyway, another point. Great to see everybody here. Quick sound check. If anyone can hear us on Crowdcast, please let me know. I think you can actually because we can see people commenting. We are going. We are live also on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook. So I think everyone can hear us there. If you can't, let us know on the chat. If you can, let us know in the chat. Um, it's important we know that everyone can hear us okay. Um, all right. Um, today we're going to be talking about the two big philosophies of candidate experience do you personalize it or do you standardize it i know everyone's going to say yes Hong, you can do both answer is you can't because we have limited resources and you have to make a trade-off at some point um if you went and personalized every single bit of candidate experience to every single candidate you'll be doing nothing other than providing concierge services to candidate you won't be doing any hiring um so you have to do some standardization but where do you bring that in and at what point the standardization actually become a problem in terms of the customer experience or the candidate experience people get. Um, so we're going to bring on a bunch of guests that have got great experience of this. Interesting enough, the guests that are going to come on have got that experience in different sort of um, uh, stages of business and scale of business. And I think that makes a difference as well. So be very excited to explore that with you. Um, okay, cool. Listen, um, as always, folks, um, Brain Food Live on Air is sponsored. Um, we Every week, somebody comes up and says, you know what, we're going to support this type of uh, this conversation. We think it's worthwhile. Uh, this week, I'm delighted to say it's the first sponsorship of the year from one of the coolest companies I know, from one of the coolest CEOs I know, a company called Stard. Um, and they're a, they're a great employee feedback, candidate feedback type of a type of tool probably best describes a talent intelligence tool these days um uh, but uh don't let me kind of talk, tell you all about it why don't we bring on the ceo of the business um a good friend of mine called lars he's going to come on uh, hopefully wearing swag and he's going to tell us all about this wonderful company uh so lars i know you've been kind of waiting on the wings you know spending expensive uh expensive uh, ceo time um to come on to uh, brain food live on it did you see, by the way, Brain Food Live on Air is starting to get quoted as a source uh, for material. 
crazy. But yeah, uh, uh, sources and, and why? Because you and I know absolutely nothing about it. That's why. Nothing. Not we yeah, exactly. We know nothing. But there we go. But yeah. Lars knows something. And look at him. He's actually obeyed the instruction to wear some swag. He's got it on. Whoa! Get in there. Stop. Swag and good hair. He said. I was gonna say the hair looks amazing. Well done, mate. Um, listen, Lars. It's great to see you, sir. And sorry we didn't catch up when you when you were last in London. Um, next time you're there, of course, let us know. Um, but uh, why don't you introduce yourself to the crowd? Who are you? What it is you do? And uh, tell us why we won't care about start. Like, who cares about it? Why is it important? Well, thanks for having me, uh, Han. So uh, I'm Lars. I'm the founder of Start. Uh, start is the market leader in measuring and optimizing the candidate experience, natively integrated with uh, with your ATS. So therefore, we're a big fan, obviously, of the topic of this uh, Brain Food Live. And uh, yeah, how we work, we gather feedback from both hired and rejected candidates. And can tell you exactly for every recruiter, every hiring manager, every department, what you should do differently tomorrow to actually improve uh, your recruitment process. So we're literally, literally opening the recruitment black box when it comes to uh, the hiring metrics. Tell us a little uh, bit about how and when you collect this information, man, because I understand CX, you know, in the olden days, it was like, okay, let's ask the dude after the interview, you know, how did it go? Uh, You get some sort of rating card. How is this any different? How has it evolved sort of uh, uh, at this point? Like, has has there been significant changes from candidate uh, experience from 2016, let's say, to 2023? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. So we did a lot of testing and what we advise all our clients is to ask for the feedback at the end of the process. So not uh, during the process and also to work with a certain delay. So if you reject a candidate and you ask for feedback instantly, yeah, they're still high in their emotion and you won't get uh, uh, the most honest feedback. So a delay of two or three days can definitely help to uh, yeah to get honest feedback on that. This would be an interesting component of our conversation later, I think, in terms of like, how do you measure? When do you measure? Um, because uh, I think a great deal of time, you know, we get confused by the uh, just the responses. And as you say, it's a very emotional to be in a situation when you're being selected, yes or no. You know, I mean, that's a rejection point. Um, any Everyone's been rejected here, I hope. You know, we've, we've had that learning experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and it's, it's, it is one of the worst feelings. It's a very, very horrible feeling to be said, to be judged and not good enough, whatever the circumstances are. So I, I don't think that is ever going to be psychologically comfortable. Um, and that's part of the thing we're trying to deal with, because, of course, in recruitment, we do more rejecting than we do hiring. Um, right. Just in terms of the numbers of people coming in, that's the facts. So we have to get this part right. Um, okay, Lars, listen, um, why don't you hang around with us? We might be able to bring you back. I don't know where we've got other stuff to do. Obviously you're CEO in this yeah. business. So I totally get it. If you've got other stuff on, but if you're going to yeah, hang I... around, go on. Uh, if, yeah. you, if I see you there, I might bring you back on screen to, to, to get your insights on various points. Um, that's, so, all, that's uh, always great. And if I, if, if I can highlight one thing, uh, Han. Um, mm-hmm. I promised. Uh, I promised Jasper, so I will do it. Uh, we're currently working on the candidate experience benchmark report for 2022, and we will we'll present that in our uh, webinar on uh, the 15th of February. So uh, yeah, the link will be shared in the chat. And and why are industry benchmark so important? Well, either you're behind on the benchmark and you need to invest in great candidate experience to hit your hiring goals, or you're actually ahead of the benchmark which is a great proof point to leadership that you're winning the war for talent and something you can use in uh, yeah in your employee branding. 
Right. So, so you've, uh, you've collected the data and you're going to present it on the 15th. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Amazing. Well, why don't you share us or Jasper, if he's watching us, share the link in the chat stream and also on uh, LinkedIn. I'm sure the folks in LinkedIn wants to see this as well. So uh, uh, let me know folks, if that's the case um, and, and make sure you sign up on the 15th. That's going to be what uh, a week, so a week's time away. Great stuff. Um, okay. Lars, great to see you, man. We'll catch up soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Good dude, man. I like him. Um, he's uh, he's good. <laughs> it's good value for uh, for his stuff. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Go and sign up for this. This sounds like an interesting thing. I do love it when vendors actually produce data like this, where they you know go to the effort of actually surveying and and collecting information on aggregate and presenting it. Obviously, recruitment vendors will have an agenda against that, and you know it's good marketing to, uh, ploys and whatever. But it's add value marketing. You know, um, it's stuff that actually might help people. Isim's actually do a very good job of this. I feel with uh, some of their their reports. So um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's very important. Um, okay. Okay, cool. Let's uh, let's talk about this, uh, Adam. Before we bring our initial guests on, I just want to get your view on this concept of um, personalized versus standardized. I mean, what's your thoughts on this? I mean, is there a way you'd lean one way or the other based on circumstances or context or whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. So you said earlier, you know, you can't do both, and I entirely disagree with that. Uh, you have to do both, and uh, otherwise, you you can't scale. So you've got to think about from the minute somebody uh, bec becomes aware of your organization as an employer to the minute they retire for good and are not coming back into the workplace, how do you make sure that your relationship with them is ongoing and it's ongoing in a way that is um, personalized and automated and the moments that matter are the ones where you have human contact. The moments that matter are the first stage conversation, the exit interview, the, I don't know, the, the, the job offer. You know, there's about four or five things which have to be a human delivered communication and almost everything else can be automated. And when you're using something like marketing automation technology or something which adapts the individual's experience based on their clicks and what that means uh, to, to what they should be getting next. You need to be thinking about next best action at every single touch point. When you've thought about all of that, you're going to get this subject right. Right. Fair enough. It looks, seems like something you might, you might know a little bit about, Adam, which, um, you know. Surprises you, too. It does. Yeah. <laughs> Massively. It, it does. Um, but there I've, we go. I've only definitely done this show with you 50, like 150 times or something. And like, I know there's only one in five things I do know about, but anyway, I know, it's, I, it's, I know it's, a bit about this one. You've got a limited repertoire, mate. That's the thing. Yes. Um, but that's all right. Um, your, 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 your primary, your primary uh, uh, quality is availability, mate. Um, so, you know, it's like, he's always oh, in, insight means in mind. That's it. There she is. It's Christine. How are yeah, you? Christine? How's it going? <laughs> yeah, great to see you. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? How's Hong Kong? It's great. I'm in my <laughs> mother's kitchen at the moment with a crazy light setup, which you know is suboptimal. But it's it's actually not great to do a 
uh, a, a sort of an evening for me an evening sort of thing because the lighting is obviously not as good as uh, in in the day it's amazing how much natural light actually helps um but there we go um anyway we've got Heidi and Christine with us um so let's introduce our wonderful guest Christine as you came on first why don't you quickly introduce yourself who are you what it is you do Sure. So I'm currently at a quantum computing startup called Quantum Motion. I've actually been here for a year and a half now, uh, which is amazing because I always feel like it was just yesterday. Um, we're now about 40 people. I think the last time I came here, we were 20 um, and very much still uh, startup mode, just about to um, fundraise our, our Series B. So very exciting time for us. So you've doubled the headcount of the business since you've last been on Brain Food. Um, Christine, is that right? <laughs> But very Struggles. in a very small way. It's not been, you know, rocket ship growth, right? It's a nice hey, healthy amount. It's all of, it's all growth, about, I think, is considered doubles. rocket ship growth. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that's definitely double. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. so you see the benefits of going on to brain food. It gives your professional uh, career momentum, you know, there's evidence right there. Um, all right. We've got Heidi here as well. Heidi, great to see you. Uh, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for inviting me uh, back on here, Hung um, and Adam. Um, so uh, Heidi Bassini worked with Sound Acquisition past 16 years in both uh, big companies with 10,000 people, uh, smaller companies, got startup scale up. Uh, latest gig was in Vivino, uh, scaling the Vivino part. And uh, yeah, uh, recently joined the RL100. And uh, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> exciting exciting news as well rl 100 you know that's like a a premium group to be part of so um so well done on that and it's a great learning sort of experience great learning group as well so uh wonderful things um okay let's talk about this topic folks i mean we, uh, i think we, we had a number of kind of opportunities to discuss this online um where you know we talked about okay well, how do we go about and do this um and i know what the you know i wonder whether what your thoughts are on this because uh, how this came about in my mind was, you know what, we kind of want to do standardized as, a, as you know, because we're all metric driven and we want to have comparative data. We want to be fair as well. Right. So, you know, we can't have it, you know, people, uh, hiring managers treating candidates to, you know, uh, nice cozy meals here and candidate uh, hiring manager B not bothering even meeting them. Right. We can't have that. We say, no, have a standardized, you know, consistent recruitment. We train hiring managers to do that, which is great. However, is it coming to the point where you're so standardized that actually you lose the nuance? Like sometimes maybe that candidate does need to go out and have a dinner with that hiring manager because of the psychology of that person or the circumstances of that individual or even the social history between the two might mean that you can't. Why are we pretending to ignore that? Right. So let's imagine there's a candidate that, you know, you've worked with before in the past Um would you not treat that person differently from someone who you didn't know? I mean, it would be absurd to try and think that you would, you know, do otherwise, right? So what are your thoughts on that? Um, how do you approach this? And is this something you've wrestled with as you try to create a candidate journey for your businesses? Um, thoughts on this? Uh, let's go with you first, uh, Christine. Yeah, I mean, as you're saying that, I thought about my time at Yieldify. So I think in startup land, we don't really have the luxury to not have it personalized because no one knows who your company is. You're trying to get people from, especially in my world, product and tech, you're trying to get engineers who don't know your brand at all. So it has to be highly personalized. Um, and some of my previous successes were actually working collaboratively with our CTO. 
who at the time was ex-Google, teaches computer science at Cambridge. When you're hiring these engineers, you have to rope in the entire team to say, look, meet him for dinner, <laughs> meet him for, you know, go and check him out, check out his meetup. Like it has to, it has to be really highly personalized. Otherwise, there's no way someone's going to join your, your company, right? Unless they know who they're working with. Okay, um, really good point, really good point. So weak employer brand, based because you're new or whatever it is you yeah. have to go concierge over the top mm -hmm. even um mm -hmm. because you Red will carpet. otherwise not be able to compete um yeah. and oftentimes by the way you might be a high-risk startup for instance or you, you sometimes you don't have the compensation ready at that point you know you've mm -hmm. got to sell that story so you're still in that sales and pitch mode yeah. you have to go overboard show people the love so okay there's a classic example we go hyper personalized adam you're, you're upset with this yeah, go ahead. I just want to no, I'm not. I'm, I'm happy with this. And I, I want to add to it. I think Christine's absolutely correct. Uh, however, this also extends to enterprise or, or other organizations who either have a unknown brand, which is not many if they're an enterprise organization, but some mm -hmm. like that are behind the scenes might. It also extends to those organizations that are unfashionable or they're toxic. Yeah. So they're unfashionable because what they do for a living is make cigarettes or they are toxic because they've got a CEO like Elon Musk. So um, it's, it's, this, 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 the same thing applies to those. It's a really good point. You have to bring in EB into this then, um, yeah. because maybe the first thing you do with kind of experience, even before you think about it, is to consider what the employer brand is, um, not only at consumer level, but to the audience you care about, you know, is it significant in, in whatever way? And then that can shape how you deliver at least the early stage of CX. Uh, Heidi, you definitely want to say something about all of that. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I I mainly agree with what you're saying, uh, Christine and, and Adam also. Um, and, and basically, I felt like you nailed it in the beginning. I was like, okay, that was the show, Adam. Uh, <laughs> let's close it down there. Um, but... When, what you said resonated with me in terms of having a brand for some reason or another. It's unknown. It's a, it's a bad reputation. However, what I also see is that a lot of, and it's not only limited to startup, obviously, but if you don't have some kind of standardization of the process, the candidate experience is not necessarily a good one. It may be personalized, but it's not necessarily a good one because the minute you're out of their sight, they may forget all about you because there's no process in place to actually catch all those candidates that are not known or are not part of the interesting pipeline that you want to nurture. Um, so I, I think that there's uh, something to be said about that. And then there's also the other thing. If you're building something and you are looking into how do I do this unbiased, how do I do this with, with a diversity mindset, you need to kind of have some kind of different approach to it that becomes a little bit of standardization with the personalization. Uh, otherwise, I think that you're just risking hiring all the kind of same people as yourself. Or it could, it could just be chaos, right? I mean, I think there's an element where oh, yeah. in, in the very <laughs> early stages, just it is a bit throwing things at. I mean, maybe that culture is mm -hmm. now gone in the, the current atmosphere. Um, but rewind back six months or so ago, that was still the concept. You know, if you got a big cash infusion or whatever, higher, higher, yeah. higher competing away um, and you would end up doing the, what, what is ex extraordinary things outside mm -hmm. of a protocol in order to secure these like the, these recruits. Um, so maybe it's but a I, little I, bit of, yeah. go ahead, uh, Harry. No, I'm just saying, I think that's partially part of the problem. It's just higher, 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 but it's not mm -hmm. necessarily higher rights. Mm 
so uh, okay. I think uh, that is also if you just kind of take a breather and step back and instead of just uh, thinking about higher as fast as possible you mm -hmm. you look at at other areas as well yeah I, I think certainly that entire uh, paradigm has shifted hasn't it over the last um because we've had two tranches of like big redundancies now where and, and those have come from the, the higher fast type of organization so you know once you've done it once is bad but twice in about you know 18 months or so it's, it's kind of really bad so yeah. probably that's going to change uh but i think there is something there about the maturity of the business mm -hmm. um and the maturity of the brand which maybe mean that hey we could be a little bit more concierge um but as you get doing it maybe i don't know how what how many highs you end up sort of developing but at some point you you develop some sort of rhythm um, and that's when you might start documenting it and saying, you know, from our experiments of doing all of this, these things seem to be effective. You can even start identifying certain strengths and weaknesses in the monks, your process with regards mm -hmm. to who hire managers or which colleagues are particularly good. Look at training ones that are great. Look at improving ones that, you know, are moving people away if they're not particularly effective at, at those things. So maybe the procedure part comes in a little bit after that concierge side. Um, Okay. Um, what about sort of the the idea of um, uh, uh, when we start putting in some sort of standardization uh, for equity purposes? Um, how do we do that? Is there a is there a framework in our mind um, where, where we apply, or is it more like you're spot checking stuff to say, oh look, um, we seem to be going out and having beers uh, as a you know a get to know you session. And then you realize, actually, no, um, you know, who really enjoys beers? Oh, typically young men um, more than anybody else. And, you know, hey, presto, we seem to be hiring more of those. So, like, is it more spot checks or is there some sort of framework you could deploy uh, to kind of make sure that your concierge is not going uh, down that sort of heavily biased route? Such a good question. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Guidelines, don't take people out drinking. <laughs> would be one of them. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, that kills candidate experience in the yeah. UK straight away. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough luck. <laughs> it needs to. I mean, I, you know, that, so happened. Cool. <laughs> that happened. That's happened to me plenty of times where I've ended up getting. I got. I got one job in an extremely well-known big four um, professional services firm. Just name um, them. We all we've all seen your CV, mate. It's PwC. You haven't. You've never seen it. You don't think I've got any experience <laughs> in anything. But uh, the, honestly, the guy the guy took me out for a six hour session in a pub called the Beehive in London, and I got the job. Got wrecked. <laughs> Absolute wrecked. Oh, I agree with Vim, by the way. Death to the beer culture. I is, I, I, is, I think it's not okay. Is that the Beehiving in uh, New North Road, by the way? Because that's like literally around the corner. It's off Baker Street. No, it's no, it's not. Just off Baker Street, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I agree with them, by the way. There, um, death to the death to the beer culture. I think stuff like that needs stamped out. It's yeah. 2023. We're no longer in 2001. I actually, I think it's impossible these days anyway, because essentially we've shifted to remote and the concept of going out and getting hammered, I thought was, I think is very much associated with office culture. Mm -hmm. um, it would be quite hard to encourage people because it's almost like everyone's knackered at the end of the uh, end of the day. Um, and we can't face the commute. It's so bad. The commute is so bad is that the only solution is to do it when you're completely, you know, off your head. Um, and, and that was basically the, the, the policy, the unstated policy 
of British office culture. culture. But yeah, yeah, maybe that's gone, you know. And I read hey, from somewhere that um, I don't think it was a tech company. They actually sent the candidate. It was a remote interview. They got a free lunch voucher type thing. So I was like, oh, that's quite nice. It's like, thanks for taking the time during your lunch break to, to do an interview with us. Here's a free lunch. And that's, I say free lunch, but here's your time, which could be land much better than, hey, let's go for beers, especially if they're working remotely. Can't say no to yeah. free. Yeah, and let's not forget as well that the old beer thing was also the, like the final assessment, wasn't it? It was like that's when yeah. the boss would whisper some secret crap to your ear and you, you know see how you'd react, you know, uh, dr drop some horrendous sort of values to you. And, and see. Culture fit interview. It was, yeah, exactly. It was reaffirming. It was reaffirming uh, male suit wearing like patriarchy and lad culture in the Definitely, office, yeah. which got people yeah. like me promoted and shouldn't happen. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably right. I think that's definitely right. Um, okay, so I don't know how we got to this point, um, but uh, by standardizing, Rob, standardizing the process, <laughs> so right. that yeah, so, so uh, very legitimately, though, candidate experience may be a big part of this moving it away from just a professional assessment exercise, isn't it? I mean, one mm. way to think about candidate experience is to say, look we've been like completely focused on extracting information from this person and, you know, we dissected him or her. Um, we actually need to do something else and let's have another way to have a conversation outside of this forensic sort of analysis. And it might be going out and doing something. That's the, you know, another way to, uh, to bond or to exchange information. So let's say we do that without narcotics. Uh, how do we, you know, what, what are we, what are we talking about here? What's the options? I think that's where the personalization comes in. Uh, let, let's try to figure out what is it that the candidates that are in the process actually care about. Uh, there must be different ways to figure out what would be working for that particular person. Should you go to a mystery escape room? Should you, uh, I mean, there, there are plenty of ways. And even when you think diversity as well, there are uh, people, um, parents with smaller kids, there are people who are more extroverts and introverts, just to use the popular term. And and when you have all these factors uh, lined in on it, I, I, that's where I don't think you can do the standardization. That's where the human touch and the personalization mm. comes in, really caring about that individual in the process. Yeah. So so what you're saying, Heidi, if I, can, if I understand you correctly, is that you should actually ask the candidate. Um, uh, uh, I mean, I, I think that's that's okay, but wouldn't that put a little bit of pressure on the candidate who, who might be like very keen to get the job? So, like, would it not be? I don't know. I would feel like I would say yes to anything, um, uh, but simply because you know, I, 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 yeah, I want the job, um, and I don't want to be saying, "No, nah, sorry, I ain't doing that." Um, so, so is is there a way in which we could kind of surface up what the person wants and and have something that's suitable without you know asking the person to be a killjoy, basically? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of find. It, sorry, yeah, sorry, go on. Sorry, go on, Heidi. Go for it. No, no, you go first, Christine. It's all good. Yeah, no, I mean, because I got to kind of diverge away from from this particular topic. So, go for it. Um, you you said um, you so, said yeah. if that would put pressure on the candidate, and I think I think that partially, absolutely, yes, and at the same time you want to create that kind of trust during the process you want to create a space where the candidate feels like they can express their opinion mm -hmm. and if we are to find out whether or not we're a good match for each other then that there should be some kind of um 
mutual way of communicating. Uh, I don't think I have the complete answer for it, but there should be some kind of uh, a mutual way of communicating different, like different options, like uh, Odette is saying, where you mm -hmm. can uh, pick different. Um, I was at a job interview actually recently, and the question I got there was, you know, if we're to do something after work, what would be your preference of choice to do? Um, and I, I didn't find that question intimidating at all. Um, That's because a really there was no good... right or wrong answer. That's a really good way to phrase it. I wonder whether you could just repeat that for the for, for the audience. Um, Heidi, that's worth noting down. Uh, what uh, if we we are uh, working together? We're doing a whole work day together. Uh, if you were to plan something for us after work for us to uh, do something together as a team, what would that activity be? Yeah, yeah, it's good, and it could be it anything. This, this, this issue reminds me of the concept of flexible benefits. So you join an organization, you get a salary, and then you get a big menu of, look, you've got whatever amount of money, which can go on to any of these different things. They could be well-being things. It could be bicycles. Yeah. It could be, you know, whatever you want it to be. And there's a big menu laid out. So um, that's, a, that's good empl employee experience. Mm -hmm. And that big four professional services firm I talked about earlier, they they gave me a really really brilliant package and that was back in like 2004 or something like that and uh you know that that flexible you know you can spend x percent of your total comp on things that are like good for your lifestyle mm -hmm. that way of thinking for this process that we're talking about would be very useful I, st I still think it puts a bit too much pressure on the candidate in my view um because it may well be for instance that candidate may just be going through multiple processes mm -hmm. and they themselves might just be assessing okay what am i going to get from these folks yeah. and then suddenly i have to make decisions yeah. um so i'm not sure whether i mean i totally i sympathize what you what your position is but mm -hmm. i'm not sure whether it's entirely suited for every scenario mm -hmm. here we might go back to what you do as a business i wonder um yeah. i was speaking to a guy called marcel edwards i don't know where you know him He's the um, head of, uh, he's great, great dude. Um, Adidas. Yeah, he works for Adidas and, and obviously big consumer brand, etc. So I actually tried to get him on the show, but he, he actually ignored, it ghosted me, uh, ignored some Marcel, if you're this. Anyway, um, he, but he was telling me that actually, yeah, there is a standard process because they have to recognize that their brand is recognized, right? So they can't just treat themselves as a normal company because everyone has something like Adidas on them. Like everyone owns something from this company. Mm -hmm. So yes, there is a tour into the shops. There is a, that's where they do their initial kind of meet and greet. Uh, there is a, you know, a, a kind of a, a, a tour in the factory and stuff like this. So they know all of this stuff and that's all branding. There's no assessments. It's mm -hmm. just like, hey, we're going to give you this kind of show to so show how it works. Now, obviously, that has high impact and high value. Everyone walks away thinking, what an amazing day. And obviously, not all of us can repeat that because we mm -hmm. only have a, a, B to, uh, a B to, uh, most of us work B to, B to B. Or even if we work B to C these days, let's say it's an online delivery type service like Vivino was, for instance, um, it may not be the same as like going to uh, an old school vineyard. So uh, you the shift to, di to digital has actually caused some interesting challenges for differentiation on CX because if interviewing remote, the job's remote, everything's via Zoom, like how much differentiation can you actually do um, in, the, um, in, the, in the candidate experience? Um, and that kind of leans itself a little bit more to, you know, this vanilla standardization approach. So, mm. you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Uh, we've got to bring some of the guests on, but let's leave it with uh, you two uh, with a final question. Shift to remote using, 
that that sort of big trend what would you say is a way in which you could kind of still make sure the candidates have a remarkable experience with your company even though you know we are like you know just looking into a, a screen most of the time yeah, I think, um, keeping it simple right i think having your values i think which is why i think we're talking what's talking about automation and whatnot really it's just the basic principles make sure they're aware of what the time frames are going to look like we will actually get back to them in the time frames that say we're going to get back to and giving them feedback it's just the core basic principles of recruitment and that's where automation i think comes from right like when's the last touch point set a boomerang or a little message that sends back to you in a week's time and say hey get back to this candidate and i think that's all i can do at the moment because i'm certain doing 20 other things but i think just really nailing the basic principles and that's what core candidate experience is it's their touch point with you as the business right and that's what I always say like you can go to a restaurant the food could be crap but the experience could be amazing and then you go and tell everyone else about it and I think the same applies and what we do you're absolutely right Christine there's a couple of yeah. there's a couple of things isn't there that that uh, are actually I'm trying to think what the report was but there, there was some sort of report that came out recently about what the priorities of a candidates were um, and actually it'd be interesting to uh, go to start the event to see whether this is actually a question asked but the first thing was like okay speed of process right so let's not have an overly long thing so that's the first thing you got to think about um, transparency another, another one like is it clear what the process is uh, so if if it is a multi-long process, say that, and actually, you know, the expectations are set. Don't uh, don't be dropping in extra stages um, that the person isn't aware of. That's terrible UX. It doesn't matter yeah. if you have big budgets to take them off for dinner or whatever. So some basic sort of recruitment processing, basic transparency, high communication points. And Adam, to your point very early when you said it, it's like the, the, the obvious important moments in the process have to be human touch. You can't just, you know, the casually send an email on a rejection if the person has gone through uh, and spent time with the application and, and gone through process. So uh, your thoughts on this, Heidi, uh, shift to remote, you know, how does that impact CX? Um, I think that, that uh, of course, there are different ways that you can, uh, it will impact the, the CX because sometimes the especially in smaller companies or in startup scale-ups the office is like a swag in itself but i think that there is leeway off what christine said there's also like helping the candidate through the process making them realize how can they prepare best for a video interview how do they do a zoom um what is it that they should be aware of uh when they interview what kind of interview should you be expecting from us are we just having a casual conversation are we doing a competency-based um interview and if so how, what does that mean and then also um treat the candidate with respect and gratitude mm -hmm. thank you for your time thank you for doing this if you have an opportunity to maybe give a voucher for a lunch or something else that actually shows that we value your time the only differentiator really is time Time is the only thing you cannot buy more of or get more of. So really value that time that candidates spend in the process. I think that's a really good point. Um, the respect level is, is I think, obviously some, something that's a little bit been lacking generally in recruiting. And it's also very variable. That's one part of the recruiting process, which is frustrating because we do kind of treat the highly skilled in demand rare candidates, so, so to speak, with the concierge um, approach, as you mentioned, Christine. Um, but, you know, there's another human being that may actually be one of many, many candidates. Um, and, you know, we, we kind of think, okay, uh, we can 
you know, get away with a, a poor experience because there's another candidate can fill them, which is not a, a great way to behave at all. So, yeah, there's got to be better ways to approach it than that. Um, okay, cool. Listen, we've got to move on and get other guests on. Christine, Heidi, thanks for joining us and giving us your insights, particularly of these, you know, rapid growth, uh, smaller businesses uh, that have to work with smaller resources. Um, please do hang around for the rest of the show. We're going to bring on a couple more guests and talk about what it's like at the bigger level, at the enterprise scale. So um, great to see you, Christine. And Heidi, we'll see you soon, okay? Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Cool, cool. Very, very smart people, those two. Um, and, and yeah. Uh, oh, folks, by the way, we might as well use this moment as we always do. Um, Breakthrough Live on Air is a talk show that has to come off air. Amazingly enough, um, at some point, we're going to have to go off in about 20 minutes. Um, uh, but this is a topic that's important for a lot of people. Um, and if you're keen to continue this conversation, there's no reason why Brain Food Live should be a stopper of the conversation. So now is the time, I think, to take a moment, uh, grab your LinkedIn URL and add it to the chat stream on Crowdcast. If you're watching this on LinkedIn, uh, take your LinkedIn URL and add it to the comment stream. Do the same if you're watching on Twitter and Facebook. And then use the opportunity to connect with everyone else who's done the same. Um, we do this every week, folks. And I think people who turn up every week end up getting like 20, 30 new connections all the time. Um, and if you think about, you know, people who are, would watch uh, uh, an industry webinar of this type um, on a Friday afternoon, which we all know people are slacking off already, um, it's only going to be passionate and innovative recruiters who are doing this. So uh, improve your network um, and get talking about this topic because we're going to have to come off air soon. Um, okay, cool. Let's bring on some of our other guests. We're waiting very patiently. Um, let's bring on Jem Parker. Jem, are you still there? She is. Um, and we're going to bring on Sean Sideway as well. Let me see if Sean is here. Oh, there she is. Cool. Let's try this. I think we should be in good shape. Um, We'll see how we go. Two two debuts. Um, so we've had Heidi and Christine on before, but this is the first time for Jem and Sean. And there she is. Hi, Jem. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. How are you? Great to see you. I'm very well, thank you. And hello, Sean. Great to see you. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, we're doing great. Um, so, okay, thanks for joining us, guys. Um, Jem, why don't you go first? Can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, so I'm Jem Parker and I work for EY. Um, I'm the candidate engagement lead and my job is basically to build and nurture talent pools, talent communities um, and improve candidate experience across the whole process. EY is not the firm, by the way, that took me out to the Beehive for six hour drinking <laughs> session before offering Thank me goodness. the job. <laughs> Well, they probably would have done back then. That that would have happened. I'm sure there was a probably. expectation at that point. Um, it you know, a, a pandemic. That's it. Um, okay, great. Um, great to have you on the show, uh, Gem. Uh, Sean, uh, why don't you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, I, I'm Sean Sidaway and I work at Go Cardless and I've been here for about four years. So I've seen the company scale from 250 to where we are as a thousand. Um, and yeah, the candidate experience has, has changed um, in that growth period. So yeah, I look after our global talent experience team. 
Very, very interesting. And Sean, why don't we start with you on this? Because you mentioned this sense of change. So what has mm. changed? Because we talked to Christine and Heidi before. And um, I mean, even though both of them were both big cops as well, but they talks, uh, I asked them to talk specifically about their early, early stage type experience. Um, mm. Take us through how it has changed uh, with a company like GoCardless, where it's gone from small to big. Um, and yeah. we talked already about, you know, why this needs to change as, as it goes forward. So what are those changes? Yeah, I think back to that point of we used to be able to host every single interview in our offices and much the point earlier, like CTO would meet everybody or Hiroki, our CEO would have met everybody going through that process. And as you start to scale, I mean, we, we schedule hundreds of interviews on a monthly basis and you can't um, have that kind of personalized individual approach where you meet everybody. Um, and so when the pandemic happened, it was a really great opportunity to shift obviously into fully remote interviewing, but that meant that we had to enable all of our interviewers to be able to communicate what the brand present was and what our values were um, in a much deeper way where you know you don't have that interperson um, experience. So how can that translate across Zoom and still get that level of engagement? Um, so yeah, it's it changed from that perspective. And I think to circle back to the to the point of like bias as well, we get often candidates or, or hiring managers asking, oh, can we meet that person, um, get them to come into the office? And you've got to apply that level of bias in that if we do it for one candidate, you've got to do it for all. And, and we, we can't do that at scale. Um, and so, yeah, that's probably one of the biggest changes that we've had to implement. So hang on. Are you saying, Sean, that you have, you've vetoed the in-person because hiring managers not sure as they never are right so they are need to i need to eyeball this person and you're saying nah you can't do yeah. that because he wow that's that's amazing yeah and it's i think it's it's a difficult thing particularly for um for sales teams um where actually that 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 conversation is very very different in person but when you consider every single candidate and their their individual circumstances people might not be able to get into the office if they have childcare or whatever it might be. And if you, if you even say, Oh, it's, it's optional that you, you could come in, that still adds a layer of bias where that candidate has a, a higher um, sort of, I guess, level of interaction with those stakeholders and are more likely to be the ones that progress. And, and so, yeah, removing that element um, means that you're treating every candidate fairly. So, and you would accept, Sean, and this is not a criticism, um, but yeah. you would accept there's this trade-off between having that sense of fairness, which I think everyone hearing this would agree, um, mm -hmm. but you might understand that there's certain candidates that might have preferred to have that meeting also. So you could have yeah. had a situation where hiring manager and candidate might have both preferred to meet, and you, mm. it, it's HR or TA's tough role to say, actually, no, you can't do that um, yeah. because that's not the right time for that meeting um yeah sorry carry on and then ask my question yeah i was going to say there's an element of okay if you get down to office stage and you want to say okay let's meet in person or come into the office so that you get that that environment i think that that stage is is where you can bring that in but up until that point like for us it's it's really important that every candidate has an equal playing field and is treated fairly very, very interesting. Jim, I want you to come in on this. Um, I mean, do what are your thoughts on that approach that as you as you heard it? Uh, do EY do something similar or do you have a different philosophy? 
No, I mean, I think uh, COVID's obviously had a big impact on how we interview and how we recruit. And obviously, EY recruit, recruits, you know, thousands of people every year. So it's it's really difficult. I think moving to virtual has probably been made the recruitment process maybe a wee bit easier in terms of handling the volumes that we handle. Um, I kind of agree that it does present that level of equity for all candidates. I think we it's difficult because I, I feel very passionate about the kind of neurodiversity space so I think there's a lot of candidates who like a virtual interview with a webcam and it's difficult to know how everyone will take that on board and I guess you have to kind of look at that process and say well how can we take all the good things from it and make it standard um, and then maybe over six months say well actually some of these things didn't work so let's take that out. I think as long as you're always reviewing it and trying to make that, that experience for the candidate better regardless of the background that they come from then you're kind of on to a winner. I, th I think as long as your intent is good I think that always does come across to candidates. That's really interesting um, and to a couple of things you said there Gem, which I want to explore in a little bit. Um, the like almost anything you try is going to advantage a certain category of person against another, isn't it? Um, uh, like not everyone is equally happy in every way to communicate, for instance. Um, I, for instance, hate the telephone. I, I literally don't answer the telephone to the point yeah. where uh, I've probably got into trouble um, because as soon as someone rings the phone, I actually have a, an anxiety attack. It's like, no, <laughs> like I'm doing something. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. want to be interrupted and I, I just ignore it. Um, and then it's like, I've got to get back on a text or do whatever it is. Um, so I'm, I'm not, I probably have kind of got myself into a situation where I've pathologized this. Uh, but you can imagine sort of this being a situation for in-person interviews, I think always penalize the introverted type person, right? Um, we, which we, you know, totally forgot about we or we didn't even consider was an issue um and the 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 the, the zoom interview is very difficult for some people also and in fact there's, there's a gender variance there as well um because there's good evidence to say um that um what is it the the, the there's a gender variance in terms of camera on camera off preferences in first meetings and women prefer slightly but significantly camera off experience compared to men um and this is because the theory is that women typically are more uh, harshly judged in terms of appearance um and so more self-conscious that way so Hard uh, I, to figure out how you would create. I mean, maybe it's complete. Maybe it is impossible to have a completely fair system for everyone. So, what do we do about that? Do we have to come with this an imperfect approach? Do we customize it? This is what we're talking about. Do we say to the candidate, "How would you prefer uh, to do it?" But then, if we do that, then we have a variable way of like we, we've lost a bit of data. <laughs> like we've lost the consistency, haven't we? So, what's the, how do we solve that conundrum? I just want to quickly say something um, in response to what Shan and Jem and Yu Hung have said. And I've got a little Easter egg here, which I didn't notice until just a minute ago. Behind me on that um, mantelpiece, there is a painting which was given to me by an artist called Beardo, which is Bill Berman. Yes. And it says, if one of us is not equal, none of us are equal. And I think it's really poignant to this particular subject. Good point. Definitely. Um, I think when it comes to kind of like the process, so you have to try something first. I, I think if you can, when it comes to standardization versus customization, when you're trying to be equitable to everyone, you can't just take a massive leap and standardize everything to make sure that everyone has equity. 
I think part of the philosophy that we use is we trial it in a small niche group of candidates, take all the good bits from it and then try and figure out how to put it into BAU. So, for example, like asking how people want to be interviewed, that's something that we do as standard now for uh, recruiting people into kind of the neurodiverse centre of excellences that we have in the UK. How can we take all of that good stuff and the feedback we get from candidates and say, well, they loved getting all of their communications through video or they loved getting a chance to be in a kind of virtual work simulation for a few days or they, you know, and then they get the interview questions up front. Right. That's something that's kind of low hanging fruit. Right. We can do that. We can standardize that. We can put that as part of BAU. So, again, it's like how do we recruit for tech people? Right. Well, let's not assume their personas, try not to make assumptions about the candidates do a bit of A-B testing, figure it out, and then go, right, how can we push that into standardised recruitment processes? I think you have to kind of do it little step by little step rather than going, it's great to be aspirational, but you you can't change the world in 24 hours. You have to just go at it a bit at a time. I think that's a really good point. Oh, that's a really good point. And I think much like the way that we interview in different geos, as well, you're going to have different nuances of how candidates like to be have like to get feedback or um, be communicated with, and you've got to take those things into consideration. And and yeah, you can't change everything all at once in a blanket and go that that's going to work. It's 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 looking at those kind of individual nuances. One one other aspect of this, which um, actually I'm probably directing to Gem, I guess here specifically, is to do with the type of people that you're targeting. Yeah, you're gonna. You want to hire. You go. You can't have the same process. If you're an organisation that everybody wants to work for, um, then you know you you have a you might have a certain process that's that is linked to that. And if you are an organisation that people don't really consider to be an employer of much interest or whatever, then uh, you're going to have a different process and how in demand or not the candidate is links to that as well. So specifically to Jem is about if I want to be an accountant and I'm like second year at university or whatever, EY is one of four options that I'm going to want to go and work for. And EY is absolutely in massive demand for me. If I am a Python developer, I'm probably going to be a bit more interested in certain other types of organizations than I am in, in what is, known as an accountancy firm. So you probably won't have a standardized approach if EY is hiring a Python developer versus a second year, you know, accountancy undergraduate. Would that be fair? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think obviously if we're hiring a Python developer, they are someone in experience hiring. If we're hiring a second year grad, then they're someone in student. So the student processes are are totally different anyway. I'll make it more specific Um, in in that case. So if I am a, if I am a, a newly qualified auditor at a a non-big four firm like a BDO or something, yep. then EY is a very aspirational move for me. Whereas if I'm a Python developer, it might not be. So I, that's probably a bit more of a good comparison. Yeah. And I think like this is one of the big things that we're working on at the moment is we have areas of the business that we recruit thousands of people every year. We have a very kind of not a standing order skill set, but we have a very good understanding of exactly what that person looks like in terms of skills and qualifications. That's what they need to be able to go out and do a particular job for the client. Where you look at tech and you're hiring someone with Python or 
we are not your typical organization and that's where branding comes in that's where exposure comes in we we have an intelligence team that sits with an ey led by lou griffiths she's amazing if anyone wants to talk about intelligence you should connect with her but essentially that is a team who are looking at how where are people with Python skills going to? Where are they being hired from? How are they? What are those companies doing to attract those people? And then we try and build that into our employer branding strategies and into our communities. You know, if they come into a talent pool, I know you prefer the term talent pool, Adam, but like rather than a community, if they come into a talent pool, how Different are we thing. engaging with them? You know, how are we nurturing them? How are we making sure that they feel engaged with us as an organization? So I think it comes down to branding at that point and experience then comes from what you do with the candidates once you've got them in your talent pool. So if I'm a candidate and everybody wants to hire me, I can make that employer jump through hurdles and do a, do a decathlon. Whereas if uh, I really desperately want to work for that company and that company knows it, they can make me do a decathlon. So, you know, I, I think it, I think it, it's, it's not just at the branding stage. I think it's also at the like hiring stage as well and like how you take somebody through oh. a... Maybe. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I yeah, on go. I'm sorry to interrupt, uh, but I, I just want to jump in with this observation. Um, but, but it's almost like the the first contact, the, the sort of um, how you first encountered each other influences the type of candidate experience that you want to try and craft for this person. So, for instance, if I put an advert out, ad response comes in that's going to be a different candidate experience to competitive app like just like headhunted someone and like put in all kinds of effort to extract this highly valued individual uh from this place so that's an example of having to personalize based on i guess our understanding of the, that that disparity of who who wants who as you are saying adam like uh, you know it's almost like who the if they want us more than them and this is you know hard to say but maybe this is a little bit true they want us hard uh, if they want us more than than them then we can get away with doing a little bit less um whereas if we want them to if we want them more than that they want us we have to do more and that is kind of a, a, a method of concierging it and customizing it but it deviates us away from this standardization approach. Um, and I think maybe that's always going to be a, a little bit intention there. Um, uh, a couple of more things I, I want to say. Um, what if your, uh, or should I say, what is your attitude to known candidates? Um, do you treat them the same uh, or do you treat them differently to someone who is unknown? So for instance, Sean, your ex-colleague from way back when or whatever, applies to a job at Coco Carlos. Are you saying to that person, hey, Get, get in the front door like everyone else get in queue um and i'm not saying you backdoor this person but is there do you do something extra to recognize that social capital mm. that you've been built same same question to you jem like what if you had um uh, someone who you know has gone through process before came close said no to us and then they've reapplied later on do you use the same approach or again are we do we need to uh, move away from standardization there and apply a little bit more nuance given the status of that, of that relationship uh, sean your thoughts on that first yeah i think um either be it a referral of somebody that's known or someone that has interviewed with us before i think there still needs to be an element of of assessing that candidate on the same merit as you would any other candidate it's you've got to have a structure in place that says these are the key criteria of what we're looking to hire and this is how that a candidate needs to show up against those criteria and so 
if you continually look at it from a perspective like oh we know them so they're great like i worked with them before they're great you're going to continue to keep hiring the same 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 again and you're not going to get diversity of thought or a, a kind of ever like growth in the company because he's like oh they're just someone we've worked with before they're great let's hire them so for us like we would still follow that that kind of same structure of going yeah we know them yeah we've interviewed them before or yes they're referral but they still need to actually qualify them against the requirements of the role um, we just to that diversity of thought thing that actually ties yeah. in really well with one of the um one of the seven trends that was in the newsletter in corn Ferry's like what's going to happen in talent acquisition which was to do with the growth of like exec and professional interim this year that's what they're they're one, one of the seven trends that they're they're predicting is there's going to be a lot more of that and uh that's something that uh should help to achieve that but it, uh, it it certainly doesn't doesn't do anything for the like diverse aspect of things. There's someone there, Louise, very much agreed. This is nepotism. Um, we'll talk about nepotism on another show because I want to defend nepotism. I think you can do nepotism right, folks. You can. Um, yeah, I know it's fucking heresy, but you know what? I've said it, so we'll have to do that show a bit later. Anyway, um, let's talk about sort of the, um, the the sort of um, a little bit more on this idea of the known candidate. Is it almost like a, a legal judgment where you would say, right, anybody who knows this person, get out of the process because, you know, you're biased, as simple as that, whether it's positive or negative. Do you, do you have to have that conversation? And if, if so, like, what's, what's the mechanism for that? Um, I don't know if it's aimed at either, but yeah, if 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 that person has been referred or is known, we we don't include that the, the, the interaction as an um, interviewer um, so to remove that bias. Like John's son, John, is coming in for an interview, for example. Yeah. 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 Definitely have to keep it separate. I remember, I recall now, there was, there was once upon a time when I was asked to interview the chairman's son um, for, for a job in the team. Um, and, and I just thought, got to hire him, haven't I? <laughs> what, what am, what am I going to do? That's a box-checking like, exercise. Exactly. Was one. What, what do you want me to do? You know, Do you want me to say no to this 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 fellow? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, yeah, everyone just recognised us as shooing. Um, and yeah, I totally, that was an uncomfortable scenario. Turned out he was pretty decent, but it was like, you know, could have been terrible, couldn't he? Um, anyway, listen, we're running massively short on time. So let, let's let's finish off with just a, a couple of recommendations from you two, uh, Gem and Sean. Um, people are listening to this and they're thinking, okay, I'm still wrestling with this idea of we've rolled out what is what we hope is a fair, standardized, collecting metrics and all the rest of it, but we're still getting some reports from candidates that are not happy uh, with being treated in you know a procedural manner, let's say. Um, what would your advice be to, to, to try and correct for that? Um, a couple of points that you might want to recommend. Um, how about your thoughts first, uh, Jim? I think when it comes to kind of candidate experience generally like and someone's put in the comments you can't please everyone so I think you have to try and find something that works kind of fairly levelly across the board I think one of the big things is learning from like your best recruiters because like some people might just have an ATS some people might have a CRM and an ATS some people might have an Excel spreadsheet and they don't have any like way to really automate so I think my first thing would be to push the limits of whatever tech you've got Um, how can you standardise what you can standardize, automate what you can automate and allow your recruiters to have really lots of human contact with the candidate, having valuable conversations and not just doing transactional stuff, like telling them about, I don't know, like 
interview timings or things like that and then learn from your best recruiters so that they look at the metrics who's got good hires who's got good diversity who has good processes in terms of scheduling um you know prepping candidates prepping hiring managers and then try and use their expertise to upskill your team and candidate experience because ultimately you can put in all the processes you like and all the automation but you hit a person who's not involved or doesn't feel engaged with being a champion of candidate experience and that whole that whole process has just fallen off a cliff yeah so look basically at the the, the high performers in the team that are doing a good job regardless of whether they've done it on a prescription maybe they've just used their own initiative or they've got their own small techniques to try and improve this then great have a look at what they're doing and try and surface that up to the rest of the team that's a great tip um uh, your thoughts on this sean like one tip quick sort of bit of advice to the person who says you know what i'm still mm. getting bad reports from these candidates like well, how would you go and yeah. advise that person yeah i completely agree you're never going to be able to make every single person happy um we've been using starred for about a year now and i think that's massively helped us to be able to recognize what our priorities are and areas to improve and I think one of the big things for us is like that transparency from the very, very beginning of the process of saying up front to the candidate, this is what the process is going to look like. Um, we started to create like different candidate packs where we give insight and um, a little bit of prep onto this is what to expect at interview one, this is what to expect at interview two. So there is, you don't blindside any candidates, they know what is coming, they know what to expect. And for some, that might mean that they go, okay, I'm going to walk away from this process because I don't want to go through X, Y, Z. But for others, that transparency is yeah, really, really beneficial and they end up having a, a really great experience because of that. You know what? I think a great deal of anxiety in recruiting is exactly the lack of transparency, isn't it? Um, it's the, 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 You don't know what the expectation is and what the involvement. I, I think the reason why a lot of um, candidates initially reject recruiters' contact is that they don't know what the commitment is. Um, but if that's public and you've got it transparently on the on the thing, it would really empower the recruiters to even say that. Say, hey, listen, um, uh, uh, here's here's your here's how we recruit generally. You can see what the commitment is and how fast or, or, or slow you want to go, and, and what kind of things we expect from you, or what kind of things you can expect from us. And then suddenly, it's a more equitable uh, experience than you know just walking blindly into a funnel, which could be all sorts. Uh, you know, like, yeah, I remember. You know, what does it mean when I say yes? Yeah, I remember actually a candidate saying this to me back in my recruiting days, an active recruiter. You know, it was like trying to head on people. So yeah, look, look, if I say yes to this, what does it mean? Am I like, <laughs> like a pressure, high pressure funnel into uh, before you know it, here's a job offer, take the job. You know, so yeah, there's lots of things we can go and improve. Folks, one thing I've educated on me today on this show is that basically this is a much more complicated topic um, than can be covered on one show. We're going to have to try and get another part two on this. Um, I'm fascinated in particular about the known candidate thing. Um, I think that's something that's highly relevant particularly if we're going to do a lot more boomerang hiring and hiring for alumni and stuff like this. I think people are going to start oscillating in and out of businesses a lot more frequently. I said, okay, how do we apply, um, uh, you know, the kind of experience methodologies there? So lots of things to talk about, uh, but we're out of time. So we have to say goodbye to Jem and Sean here. Jem, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And no, uh, Sean, thank you for joining us. Don't uh, kick Gem off for a second. I've got to tell Gem something really quickly, very funny. I when I uh -oh. when I was about a month into recruitment, recruiting accountants in 1999, I got a phone call co co coming in from an advert I'd put in the paper, and the person said, "Hi, it's Sarah here. I work for Ian Y and blah blah blah." 
And then I went, right, okay, thanks, Sarah. Good to talk to you. By the way, I wrote down the name of your employer. Can I just confirm the spelling? I-A-N-W-Y-E. Is that right? That's how you spell E-N-Y? She was like, she never phoned me back. She was like, yeah. Listen, um, loads of people still don't know who EY are, so I listen. I totally understand. I think it's uh, if you know, you know. I, I was meant to be an accountancy recruiter. <laughs> oh no, yeah. absolute, absolute joke, absolute joke of a, of a recruiter, Adam. Um, thank God the, you left that profession and, and improved it by leaving it. Um, okay, um, let's say uh, goodbye to uh, German Sean. It's been great having you. We'll definitely have you back if you're interested, guys. Have a very good day. Um, wonderful to see you on the show, folks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Weren't they smart? They were so good. Um, our guests are, our guests are great. I mean, I, I, I don't know why, because there's a lot, a lot of I guess I don't really know. Um, I didn't know. Presumably you before, get, so. presumably you, you get somebody else to reach out to them, because I don't understand why these people turn up for you. Thank you very much, mate. Um, but hey, this is all concierge from Hong Lee, yeah. Uh, you've got is... you've got some sort of talent sourcer going out doing like a proper headhunting, exec headhunting job on these folk to get them on do, the show. Do you do you know what I don't? Um, and the reason why I don't is because I, I actually get those me messages myself, um, and I don't like them. Um, I, I just think they're so uh, like, oh, I'm representing this person that does this, and I'm saying, well, yeah, but what does it mean if I say yes to this? Um, I mean, I, I, I just don't like that intermediacy. It's like, look, you can get people on a DM real quick, so you know. I got um, one last week. I got one last week and was told asked if I wanted to be part of something, and I said, yeah, sure. Here's my email address, and they said, yeah, no, actually, what we want you to do is you just record it and send us the video. I went. <laughs> No, no, that's like, that's free content for you, so I'm not giving it to you. Um, so anyway, that was really good, okay. folks. Um, listen, um, we'll be back next week. Don't forget, by the way, start are the other are are the sponsors of the show. Thank you very much, Lars, um, for building this wonderful product. Uh, you've heard if you care about CX, definitely check it out. If you haven't got a supporting tool, uh, start with the double R, uh, ed.com. Uh, we're back next week, folks. And guess what we're doing? We're doing recruiter use cases for chat GBT part two. Um, last time we ran this show, we broke all records in terms of numbers of people watching thousand people concurrently. The ticker stopped working at Crowdcast. We're going to do it again because we need to basically get to the bottom of it. It changes so fast as well. Like every single week, a new revelation, a new technique, a new update happens that changes the game again. So once again, we're going to repeat process. We've got a bunch of recruiter practitioners who are going to come on and show us what they know about this this, te uh, this technology. Then we've got product makers that come in and pitch their products. And then we're going to get some wire sets at the end, talk about why it's the end for all recruiters and stuff. Anyway, um, make sure you, you tune up for that. It's going to be 12 o'clock again next week, uh, Friday the 10th. So sign up for that. Follow the channel for more details. Uh, see you next week, folks. Ah, that was pretty good, I thought. Cool. Yeah, enjoyed that subject. All four guests were excellent, and uh, yeah, it was good. I should should have got them all at the same time, to be honest. But um, cause I, I, th I thought maybe that interaction between the four of them would be great. But I was concerned there might have been too many people on screen, and it's hard to have everyone watching someone else uh, talk, you know. So, yeah, it's difficult. Got to think about that. So, um, what are you doing for the weekend? Um, I've, I've actually cleared out Saturday because I've got to do the work. I've got to do some newsletter writing, obviously. Um, on Sunday, I've been told I've got to go to my dad's village to for some sort of like village feast. It's all feasting, mate. Um, I've been eating so much. 
I've been here seven days. I reckon I put on three kilos straight off um, because every single meal is an overeat. Every single one. Well, that's just Everyone. about your own personal discipline, isn't it? It's not. You can't say no. It's like this is a very food-based culture. So in, in the yeah. same way, if you're in Glasgow back in the day, having a pint, refusing a pint from someone who's offered you, that's no way, no. Here it's the same. It's like you can't say no to food. Yeah, you're gonna eat that. You're gonna eat and ask for seconds. So yes, yeah, people are—they're not even overweight, though, are they? In Hong Kong, people not at all, not at all. How, how is that then? Because like <laughs> rice, for example, is like massive glycogen spikes. There is a that? there's a lot of diabetes in this part of the world because of that. Uh, yeah. Um, but there's not a lot of fat. Um, I think it's a lot of it is maybe because of mobility. People walk a lot. Um, it's not particularly sedentary. And I've, and I've noticed as well that people are, I mean, obviously COVID makes a difference, et cetera, but this is not the same thing as having a suburbia where you can be like not going, going into town is like a project or maybe something you do once a week. Um, but here everyone goes into town every day um, uh, to do a daily shop for food. So the, it's not a big culture of freezing stuff or having a big free fridge or something it's like hey go to the market get some fresh stuff so i think that more mobility will knock some you know get your metabolism going you know so yeah so yeah it's a different different uh different world anyway um what are you cool. doing this weekend mate yourself rugby playing rugby tomorrow at 12 o'clock calcutta cup matches tomorrow england v oh. scotland at 12 at four o'clock i think it is mm -hmm. so i think there's another there must be another six nations game on tomorrow as well so tomorrow is a weekend, uh, is a day of rugby, and Sunday, I'm going to read Recruiting Brain Food and study for next Sunday, which next we Friday. Even, which didn't even review today, which I totally forgot about. But yeah, I was, we ran out I'll, of time. I don't think you did your sound check either. No, I, well, I did a sound check, but I was I was, I was, I was too you? busy. I was too, too busy trying to create a gag for your unemployment, but it, I, I didn't successfully create a joke for it because um, <laughs> we all know you you decided to chill out. Anyway, we should have a talk about what the hell you're doing, by the way. Um, you know, when when the, not not to say I can offer anything, but you know, I'm uh, I'm, I'm going to start a I'm going to start a I'm going to start a newsletter called Recruiting Health Food. <laughs> Please do it. I would love to yeah, do it. That would be so funny. Actually, you could do some work for Brain Food. You could do some customer service for us, mate. Because I, I literally, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't do it. It's like I'm all over the place. Anyway, listen. Um, we'll Sorry, talk next I'm, week, mate. I'm, I'm busy washing my hair. <laughs> see you, man. All right. See you later. Oh, dear.